still in the first chapter. I love this little epistle, don't you? It's such an encouraging epistle. So think of this church, this poor church in Philippi that Paul is writing and trying to be an encouragement to them because they have been an encouragement to him by sending a gift. And Paul is sending this letter back just filled with so much encouragement. And last week we looked at Paul saying that he wanted Christ to be magnified in his life, whether by death or by life. And so now we come to verses 21 through 24, which do not let the familiarity of a passage ever take away from the message of the passage. Okay, because as I read these verses, many of you are going to be like, oh, we've heard these verses before. When I was in college, in the seven years it took me to squeeze in that three-year degree, I probably heard, I'd say, 20 messages on David and Goliath. But you know what? I learned something every time. So don't ever let the familiarity of the passage take away from the message of the passage. So verse 21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I what not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, let me just start by saying Paul was not suicidal as he writes this. He's not saying, hey, I'm just going to try to find a way to off myself so I can be with the Lord. That is not what he's saying. But what he is trying to state is, to die for the Christian is gain. You do realize this life is the worst it ever gets for us. But for the lost, this life is the best it ever gets. So we're going to look at a message simply titled, For to Me to Live. And I want us to ask, what is my life? For what do I live? As we look at two simple points this morning, First, we're going to see the glory of living, and then secondly, we'll observe the gain of dying. The glory of living and the gain of dying. You and I must allow Christ to live in and through us. Allow Christ to live in and through us. Let us look to the Lord for guidance. Father, thank you again for this time in your word, and as we examine these few verses, again, Lord, may we be encouraged to remember there is glory of living for you, but for us as Christians to die truly is gain. So Lord, may we live every day as though it could be our last and live every day pleasing to you. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's look at the first part of that. For to me to live is Christ. Our life is in Christ. We are hid with Christ in God. Let me go ahead and do this. I like to get participation. I love people getting involved. Ed, Colossians 3, 1 through 3, if you would, please. Andrea, Romans 6, 1 through 11. Al, can I call on you? Colossians 2, 20. And we'll pass the microphone around. And it is on. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. 
for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So we are hid in Christ, with Christ, in God. My life is not about me anymore. My life is not about personal goals, self-ambition, gaining riches, gaining wealth. But my life was, is hid with Christ in God. In other words, my will should be lost in the will of God. And my desire should be whatever God desires for me to do. Romans 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, recently we took much time going through this passage and discussing how that we are dead to sin. We no longer have to serve sin. We're alive in Christ, but the problem being many times we don't reckon it to be so. And it's a daily reckoning. It's a daily thing that I got to reckon and realize the old man's dead. I'm alive in Christ, which goes along with what Al is going to read for us right now in Colossians 2.20. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances. If you're dead with Christ in the rudiments of this world, why are you living as though living in the world? Are you subject to ordinances? In other words, why are you going back and holding on to those things of the world? Why are you trying to go back and hold on to the things from which Christ has freed you from? You know, now especially the ordinances talking to the Jews that they would go back to the sacrificial system, go back to all those laws that they no longer have to follow. Why would you want to do that? But often, even many times as Christians, as Gentile Christians, we try to still find a way to, I've got to work to please God. I've got to work to earn favor with God. I've got to do these things because otherwise God's going to be mad at me. We still get this idea of, I've got to do in order to please or appease God. But God already loves you. He's already demonstrated his love for you. He's already provided a way of salvation for you. And so our desire to serve him should not be tried to appease him, but to please him and, and honor him and then thank him for what he has done for us. And why would I want to go back to the rudiments of this world. Now I want you to look again and understand that the translators of the King James 
and this is another reason why I believe this is the best translation, is when they had to add a word to clarify and make it a proper English sentence, they would italicize that word so that you know that that word truthfully was not a Greek word that was translated. It was an English word added to make the sentence clear. So may I do this, and this is not going to be abusing Scripture in any way. I'm going to read verse 21 again without the italicized words. For to me to live, Christ, and to die, gain. And I just took out the verbs is, okay? But for me to live, Christ. What's my motive for living? What's my purpose for living? Christ. Dying, gain. So then I ask this question, for what are you living? Is it Christ? Is my life Christ? For to me to live, Christ. Is that my purpose for being here? Is to please Christ, to serve Christ? You say, well, I think so. Okay, here's a little test you can do. What truly consumes your time? Now, there's nothing wrong with recreation. There's nothing wrong with proper entertainment. There's nothing wrong with vacation. There's nothing wrong with retirement. There's nothing wrong with these things. But if that is what consumes your time, if that is your life, then it's taking the place of Christ. You see, for me to live, Christ. So even while I am enjoying recreation, I can still be praising and living for Christ, right? I can be fishing and thanking God for the fish that I'm going to eat later, right? Or understand many times I've had to explain to people, I said, I'm a fisherman, not a catcher. And there's a difference. <laughs> Some days, there's a big difference. <laughs> Talk to Peter, James, and John when we get to heaven. They'll tell you, there was many days when they were fishing, not catching. But until Christ is your primary focus, then you're not truly living for him. In all things, Christ, for the glory of Christ. Why am I going to do this? For the glory of Christ. So that should even help us with many activities of life. Can I do this to the glory of God? If the answer is no, then why do it, right? It shouldn't be part of your life. Everything we do, should be, our lives should be consumed with glorifying Christ. So let me say this. There are those, again, who will take this to an improper extreme. And here's what I mean. I was talking with a, a pastor friend who has a young family. And he was saying about, he's been counseled many times to make your family a priority. And actually, he, as a young guy, was counseling another pastor about, or another person about making family priority. And this guy talking to him said, well, you know, I need to get out and I need to be evangelizing souls and I need to be doing this and I need to be doing that. And he said, you need to be taking care of your family. Yes, evangelizing is important. And when the church has times of visitation, we should try to be there. But let me tell you something. If that week, for whatever reason, you've not spent time with your family, you have a family first. And this is what he told him. He, and because the guy said, well, my ministry is more important than my family. He says, no, you're wrong. He says, you chose to be married. You chose to make that a priority. And God's word says that they are now a priority in your life over your ministry. 
But there are many times, way too many men have made the ministry a priority over their family and have lived to regret it. I could name names. You know, Billy Sunday said he would give up his entire ministry, but he lost his sons because he made the ministry first. And I can go on a list of names of people who have made ministry more important than their family. Let me tell you something. Having the right priorities in life is important in order to glorify Christ. Now, I'm not saying ministry is not important. That's not what I'm saying first at all. But our first priority needs to be my personal relationship with God. That is my first priority. Priority. Above my relationship with my wife, Susan knows I have a higher priority than her, and that is my personal walk with God. But number two in my life is not the ministry, and it's not my children, but number two in my life is my wife, period. Number three in my life is my children. Now they're adult children now, so it's not quite as what it was when they were in my home, okay? Both of them are moved out now. Then, for me, it goes to ministry because that's my occupation too, okay? But you understand that is the priorities God has established, and he makes it very clear in his word. And so if we're going to glorify Christ, to sit there and try to put on this air of spiritualism that I'm going to put my ministry above all those others, is not glorifying Christ. And while many look at him and say, oh, what a spiritual fellow. No, he's not. Because he's not following God's priorities for life. And we need to be careful of that. We need to remember that where your treasure is is where your heart will be. Al has the mic. Could you pass it over to Susan? And Susan, could you take Matthew 6.21, please? Because where your treasure is is where your heart will be. I'll give her time to look that up since I didn't tell her sooner. Matthew 6.21 is where she's turning. Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What do you treasure? What do you value? Do you value Christ more than earthly things? Because what you value most is where you spend your most time, talents, and treasure. What you value most is where you spend your most time, talents, and treasure. So we need to lay up our treasures in heaven. You know, all the glories of heaven await the saints. Now, the Bible truthfully teaches us more about hell than it does about heaven. But the glimpses of heaven that the Bible gives us, it's an amazing place, is it not? It's a beautiful place. I can't wait to see heaven. I can't wait till God creates a new heaven and new earth. I had one preacher talking about the new heaven and new earth. I'm not going to get into that. But anyhow, because he had a lot of speculation about what it might be, because we don't know. But just some of the things he was saying are so beautiful to think about. What could it possibly be like? Think about it. I toil on this earth for maybe 80 years, right? Or if you're one of those stubborn ones, 90 or 100 years. But, you know, you don't get much past 100 anymore. We don't have Methuselahs walking around pushing 1,000 years right? So we don't think. What is 80 years compared to eternity? Well, since eternity is not time, there is no comparison. There truthfully is no comparison. I remember hearing an illustration years ago of eternity. 
And it went something like this. You know the rock of Gibraltar at the, the Straits where it goes into the Mediterranean Sea, that big rock there? Somebody said, what if an eagle, since we got an eagle up there on the screen, <clears throat> came and touched and just took his claw and just scratched at the rock once a year, okay? And then the next year he flies by and he just scratches at the rock. And the next year he flies by and scratches at the rock. By the time he has the rock all the way eroded down to sea level, eternity's just begun. That's a long time. Because eternity is not bound by time, so therefore the illustration actually falls apart because there is no such thing as time and eternity. But you get the idea. Because we are a creature of time, it helps us try to get the concept of forever, which we really truthfully cannot understand, but someday we will. The other thing about serving God is I have not yet to be able to think of an area in which I can serve God that others don't receive a benefit as well. In other words, how can I serve God in any capacity that does not end up equating to serving others as well? Okay, so when you come to clean the church, well, that's serving God, but it's also serving the rest of us because when we come, the facilities are clean, right? When Ed leads the music, well, that's serving God, but it's also serving us because now we all can stay together on the song, right? When Ken and the other men who help, but let's, let's face it, that was Ken's baby out there, builds a porch on the front of our church. He did it to serve God, but we all receive a benefit. I'm just waiting for a service for it to rain so we can experience that benefit. <laughs> no, actually, the gentlemen who sit out there have said, Last week, they said it is amazing how much cooler it is sitting up against that window because it's now shaded. Praise God. As I preach, there's a benefit for others. As I pray, part of my prayer should be intercessory prayer, so there's still a benefit for others. So I'm trying to think of an area in which we can serve God that others don't actually end up receiving a benefit from. Isn't that amazing how God has designed that? You know, as I stay separated from the world, that's a testimony to others and can be an encouragement to others, right? I mean, I, I just can't think of one that truthfully doesn't somehow end up being a benefit to others. I love the way God designs things like that, don't you? But life is short, and we're going to be with him for all eternity. So you've all heard the saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's look at verse 22. Living in the flesh is our time to labor. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I what not. So we have this time to work for Christ. We have this time to reap the harvest. We have this time while we are here to minister during our lives. So while Paul is saying... For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. In other words, dying is better for me. He's not devaluing this life, but he realizes this is the time in which I have to work for Christ and to earn those rewards in heaven. But then he also ends and he says, yet what I shall choose, I what not. Okay, again, Paul is not being suicidal. He's not saying, so I'm going to go kill myself so I can get to heaven. I don't choose when I die. You do realize somebody younger than you will die today. We assume that we have life ahead of us. 
I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. So I need to make today count for Christ. But then let's look at verse 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So abiding is needful for others. We're to encourage others while we have the time here on earth. We're to win uh, uh, the lost to Christ. It's not about material gain, but souls in heaven. You know, if our whole purpose in life was just to be saved, then why did God not take you out of this world as soon as you were saved? Because he has more for you to do. There's souls to be won. He wants you to glorify him with the time that he's given you now as a Christian. He wants you to take that and earn those rewards that he has for you in heaven. So there is glory in living, is there not? I enjoy living. I hope everybody here does. It's, it's pretty good, right? Life is good? Okay, it's checking. But to die is gain. Let's go back to verse 21 look at the second half of the verse. Again, to die is gain. But only the Christian can say that. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. You want to pass that to Shannon? We'll have her read. Thank you for volunteering, Shannon. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, and death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where, the, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that, ye, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Okay, death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. Christian, you and I have no need to fear death. You and I have no need to fear dying because it is going to usher us into the presence of Christ. We know that. It is our gain to die. We're going to put off this mortal. We're going to put on immortality. We're going to put off this body with all its aches and pains and limitations, and we're going to put on an incorruptible body. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. And we can live excited in knowing that, as I said earlier, this life is the worst it will ever get for me. After I die, it's only better, right? Now, again, only the Christian can say death is gain. Let's pass the mic up to Enid, please. Thank you again for volunteering. Appreciate it. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, for the lost, death is the greatest loss. It saddens me that 
we have such a high suicide rate in our society because people thinking, I'm just going to end it all and it'll be better. I had a co-worker when I worked at Walmart who committed suicide. His mother and his son found him. It was a very hard funeral. It was actually my first funeral I ever did. Especially knowing that, to the best of my knowledge, Gary never accepted Christ as his Savior. And knowing that what he thought was going to end all this pain that he was having, which really was basically his girlfriend broke up with him and he just decided to end it all. I imagine he regrets that today. Now, I know if he did not ever receive Christ, which I said, the best of my knowledge, he never did. I know he regrets that today. You know, any of you who have ever dealt with the VA, when you call the VA, any number you call in the VA is going to have a message that goes about 20 minutes long. And in the 20-minute message, if you're having thoughts of suicide, please dial da-da-da-da-da-da-da. By, the, by that point, I'm usually not thinking I have thoughts of suicide. I usually have thoughts of murder because I'm tired of this 20-minute message every time. But they don't have a number for that, so I don't call it. <laughs> because the suicide rate among veterans has skyrocketed. And the sad thing is, is many of them will open their eyes in the fires of hell and realize it's eternally too late. Folks, we need to realize death is gain to us, but to the lost around us is not. And we need to be faithful in sharing the gospel with them and telling them that they need to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, letting them know that Jesus died so that they don't have to. Because instead of experiencing eternal death, they can experience eternal life. Isn't that great? I have eternal life. Now, I'm going to die physically but it's just a temporary thing because I have eternal life. But for the lost, it's eternal death, eternal separation from God. But you know the greatest gain of death is the fact that we're going to be with Christ. You ever stop and think, what was it like for Peter, James, John, and the other disciples who actually walked with Christ after he ascended? to be anticipating being with him again? Because they physically were with him. Now, you and I never had that privilege of seeing him physically, but he has sent another comforter, another of the same kind, the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in us. And so, yes, we have that down payment, that earnest of the inheritance waiting for us, but isn't it going to be glorious when we see him face to face. Some of the men here I know have deployed before. I did two deployments and did not re-enlist because they told me my re-enlistment bonus would be a third deployment. And that didn't sound like a great bonus to me. But I'll tell you one thing. When I came off that aircraft, I didn't want to see anybody else. There's only one face I wanted to see. And it was Susan's. Because I missed her. Now, the one time we came home, somehow, and this is back before all the cell phones and everything else, so you all remember the old-fashioned communication, which didn't always happen. Somehow, she got the time when we were landing wrong, and we had landed in Brunswick, Maine. And of course, while we're in Maine, what are you going to do? You're going to buy lobster. So I had two fresh live lobsters 
come off the plane with my sea bag and my two live lobsters, and I'm looking around the flight line, and there's no Susan. Everybody else's spouse is there. Everybody's having this great celebration. They all leave. I'm still sitting on the flight line, and no Susan. Well, I remember walking outside the gate of the flight line and sitting in the parking lot of the squadron, trying to make sure my two lobsters don't run off. (laughs) And she finally pulls up. But let me tell you something. I never held it against her because, you know what, when I got to see her, I totally, that didn't matter anymore. We got the lobsters home, we boiled them, we ate dinner. (laughs) But you and I should feel like pilgrims and strangers in this world. Do you ever feel like a stranger with the way the world is? You should, because this world is not our home. We're just passing through. The way this world thinks is not the way we think. And it is strange to us and should be strange to us. We should desire to be home in heaven because our rewards are there. We'll have the opportunity to praise him for all eternity. Our Savior is there. We're going to be able to dwell with him for all eternity. Yes, we look forward to heaven. And what that should do, Christian is not make us suicidal, but that should motivate us to live for him while I'm here. Going back now to the first part of the verse, for to me to live is Christ. Why? To die is gain. I'm going to be with him for all eternity, so I need to make every moment of my life count for him now. So may we honor Christ, and may he be magnified, whether by death or by life. May we understand that true living is Christ. And death for the saint is gain. Let us live for him.